titles mean nothing uh today's episode is going to be a bit different and we hope it's going to set sort of a precedent for some more episodes in the future yeah we're going to be doing some that are a little more researched a little more focus um and thus far the focus has been on music music history yeah quite a lot of music history and they're kind of like story based in some ways mine's definitely a story today uh, anyway, uh, shall we get on with the episode? Mm. <laughs> You're listening to Titles Mean Nothing. I'm Sasha Swift. I'm Alex Thomas. And today I'm going to talk to you about one of my favourite bands of all time. Get ready, drum roll. Three time players of the Glastonbury Festival. They shared a drummer with Oasis. They collaborated with Sinead O'Connor, Peter Gabriel and Guy Chambers. Nominated for a Grammy Award, won Album of the Year by Q Magazine, won an Ivan Novello Award and provided music for the soundtracks of Reality Bites, Clueless and She's the One. Who is this greatly esteemed band that I'm sure we have all heard of? World Party. Who are World Party and how come you've never heard of them? So to answer the question, who are World Party? First of all, you have to answer the question, who is Carl Wallinger? Please welcome Carl Wallinger, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! Hello. Thank you. Magically sitting here and wearing the very same shirt. Yes, it's the same one. So, Carl Wallinger, Alex, is a Welsh multi-instrumentalist. So he plays like bass, guitar, keyboards, and he sings, uh, which is why... Obviously, growing up as a teenager and in his 20s, he was in like quite a lot of bands. From that description as well, maybe it's someone I could see you kind of relating to with playing all the different instruments. Yeah, I play a lot. <laughs> um, so professionally, like Carl has always been in the music biz. He had a job at a music publisher briefly, and he even directed uh, Rocky Horror in the West End in the 1980s. But his break kind of came in 1983 when he joined... Uh, the Waterboys on their live tours and he ended up playing on two of their albums um, A Pagan Place and This Is The Sea Do you know much about The Waterboys? I know zero about The Waterboys Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not a huge fan to be honest um, but I know some of the members and you know, they're, they're quite a popular band especially in their time um, So Carl was only supposed to kind of play piano, organ and do, you know, a few backing vocals on Waterboys tracks but uh, his skills really impressed Mike Scott um, who was a member and he ended up contributing much more to This Is The Sea. Yeah, he kind of like outgrew the band and although Carl was contributing more, he clearly knew he was capable of even more than that. So he ended up leaving the band in 1985 and he formed his own band called World Party. World Party in 1985 is a one-man band. It's Carl Wallinger working on his own material by himself. A relatively unknown guy. He's programming drum machines, playing guitar, bass, keyboards, and uh, he's getting help from other musicians from time to time too, such as Sinead O'Connor, who at this point in time is not a household name. Oh, I see. Yeah. So she's she's not very well known. Yeah. So um, in return, he was working on her debut album. His first album, Private Revolution, had his first hit, Ship of Fools, which hit the charts in Australia and other countries too, and that was just the beginning. three more albums in the 90s and one in 2000 uh, spawning a few minor hits now I'm going to see if you've heard of any of these put the message in the box no I do wonder with these if hearing them I'll know them way down now yes yeah I've played you that though (laughs) 
I've is heard it... that. I'd heard that before. That's like, I in my head, if I think of like classic eight nineties songs, that I would say would be like in the top ten. I wouldn't necessarily know who it was, but I'd have been able to hum it. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Is it like today? Do you know that? I think so. That's one of his bigger hits as well. But yeah. This is the thing they were so underappreciated. It's ridiculous to think that they've barely known by anybody. And I also heard you describe the music industry as being a bit like an ejector seat. Is that how you really see the music industry? Like, do you, could you imagine? I've got no, illu- I've got no illusions as to sort of you know how uh, uh, you know fickle it is. You know, I mean, it's uh, I kind of try to protect myself against that by sort of only coming out every three years or something. You know, so, you know. that was only a small snippet, but um, the idea of him kind of like protecting himself, isolating himself from the music business. Maybe that's a contributing factor to why he wasn't so well known because he wasn't schmoozing, yeah. um, and also kind of him hearing him say that is sort of akin to um, another Welsh music act I've been yeah. reading about. We don't talk about life. Um, who largely rejected it for a long time, but uh, there's still more. I mean. The Manic Street Preachers, who you're on about, are supporting Bon Jovi at the weekend. Or today, yeah. This is what I was just going to say. Initially, they were very, like, taking that kind of stance, we don't want to be in with these poses, etc. But then as the 90s developed and they realised, oh, actually, money, money popularity, uh, chart hits, they started to smooth a lot more. Yeah, so that interview snippet is, like, actually from quite early on. That's maybe a second, third album. So, like, even then, he, he's kind of, like, aware, and he's, he's only releasing material sporadically. Touring wasn't his main thing. So if you're a World Party fan and you listen to them, it's quite evident where their stylistic influences come from. The best I can say is that it's actually quite Beatley. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big Beatles fan, as anyone who knows me will know. Actually, they did, like, a fair few Beatles songs as, like, B-sides, too. Cry, baby, cry. I'm fixing a home where the rain gets in, dear prudence. is a warm gun. All you need is love. I really enjoyed that. Maybe, I was thinking, maybe he should have been cast in that Yesterday film. <laughs> I, I don't think he can quite act. Like, he's quite awkward in interviews. Like, okay, you can tell yeah. he's, like, not used to being interviewed, kind of. Um, so World Party, you know, as well as being influenced by Dylan, they've um, they've got like a few Dylan-esque songs and Dylan covers as well. All I really wanna do is baby be friends with What's a sweetheart like you doing in a dump like this? How does it feel? Tell me how does it feel? Yeah, you can tell like he's a big Dylan fan from that, can't you? Um, that live version of Like a Rolling Stone is one of the best versions I've ever heard, I think. Yeah, you can actually tell what words yeah. are being said. And he, he also covered, you know, Bowie, wrote some Bowie-inspired songs as well. also quoted from the who so yeah these are that's like these are big sort of box tickers for me aren't they oh yeah we're hitting, we're ticking all the boxes here yeah and it's nice i think it's nice when someone's like got that kind of historic background to to refer back to mm-hmm. yeah. there are a lot of people like that i know who don't necessarily know who the who are or very much about yeah. the beatles etc and if someone's going to be a musician it's nice to uh yeah have that foundation for it's your a legacy stuff. isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, like there's a film out at the moment yesterday which is about a world if the beatles never existed and this guy who knows all their songs then like we're saying it's got like references to coldplay ed sheeran in it but they that would music not would not yeah, yeah they wouldn't have existed without the beatles it's it's ridiculous yeah so after carl's first album or two he uh he starts moving on and he realises naturally he's got to expand the band because a one-man band can't really sustain itself for a live tour and things like that. And there's always something that other musicians can bring to sort of albums as well. 
unlike the last couple of records, you've got a couple of other full card carrying members, as the bio says. Yes, as well, that party. kind of thing. Well, I mean, you know, what we just do? well, you know, uh, one of them's Dave Catlin Birch, who plays guitar and bass and sings, and another guy's called Chris Sharrock, who plays the drums, and uh, we also had Guy Chambers was with us for a while making this record, and not very long. And then he went off and did his own sort of group sort of thing. I mean, we just kind of make music. We have a we 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 just have a sort of click between ourselves, and we'll, yeah, we do some of the track. I mean, some of the tracks I did on my own, and some of the tracks I did with Dave, and some of the tracks I did with just Chris, and some of the tracks I did with Dave and Chris, or maybe I laid down the backing track with one of them and played with the other. You know what I mean? Like. So, um, these new members of the band were really important because they really brought something new to the albums. You know, instead of drum machines. There were actual drums on the albums. So yeah, do you know Chris Sharrock? So he was the drummer. He um, he was drummer for Oasis, who you love. He don't. Love <laughs> um, Chris Sharrock also drummed for BDI, and now he drums for Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. also a drummer for the Icicle Works, of which I know absolutely nothing. And uh, <laughs> do you know Dave Catlin Birch, the, the guitarist? Does he? Okay. Um, he was a former Paul McCartney impersonator in the bootleg Beatles. So if you ever see like Dave Catlin Birch in any of the videos and he's playing bass, for example, he'll be playing the Beatle bass mm-hmm. that Paul McCartney played. So, um, so what's really important about like that interview snippet is Carl's mention of Guy Chambers. So he's a man who is a really big deal in the music industry, or at least he was in like the late nineties, early two thousands. He's a man who contributed uh, songwriting, synth, drum samples, and additional production work to Carl's music. Um, by the way, apologies. Like I'm croaking like a fair bit. I've got kind of a sore throat at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, if you're um, if you're not familiar with World Party. You won't be familiar with one of their more popular songs, a track called She's the One, (laughs) um, which appeared on their fourth album, Egyptology, in 1997. So this track peaked at... Do you want to know where it peaked? In the Billboard Top 200. I'll take a a wild guess and say, like, 61. 167 on the US Billboard 200. So it's a fantastic song that Carl wrote for his mother, but um, it did absolutely nothing. But it's also a song whose story goes to show how undervalued Carl and World Party actually were. I was commissioned to do it for a film called She's the One, and... Um, Tom Petty was the music supervisor, kind of thing, sort of organising the soundtrack. And there were a few other bands involved, and um, I, it was the title track, so I sort of knocked it out in an afternoon, you know, like you do. And uh, <laughs> you? I sent it off. Well, I mean, actually, it's funny because it just sort of came out in sort of one go, kind of thing. It was quite a funny moment. And I uh, sent that one off, and, um, and then he decided to do the whole thing as an album. So I got the song back, and for one reason, you know, one thing and then another happened with it and it uh, ended up on a, an album called Egyptology which is a world party record and uh, Robbie you know loved Egyptology so. time that singer Robbie Williams was looking for new material to record for his second solo album. So at the start of 1996, Robbie had left the boy band Take That to start his own solo career, which was like fraught with delays. He'd only released his first album at the end of 1997, so that's nearly two years. So between 1996 and the start of 1999, Robbie released six singles, and um, none of them failed to chart, so people were listening to them, but he'd I mean, people love Take That, didn't they? So. Yeah, but he'd only had one number one from those six singles. So five of them, you know, just weren't popular enough. And uh, that number one was Millennium, which was released oh, in God. 1998. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Not great. We got stars Why would you release Millennium in 1998? 
I, I can understand ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, maybe he peaked too soon. <laughs> he got a number one with it. So yeah. yeah. So the fact he'd only had like one number one over two years after disbanding from a huge British like boy band must have been really disheartening. So yeah, he's struggling to prove himself as a solo act in many ways. Um, but do you know who Robbie was co-writing with at the time? Guy Chambers. What a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Guy Chambers is also producing Robbie's material, having worked with Carl from World Party. So, so he's working with Robbie. Yeah, he's working with Robbie, who's this like massive sort of solo artist, and also working with Carl Wallinger, who's almost a nobody in mm-hmm. World Party. And um, Guy Chambers must have been playing sort of Robbie a fair few tracks that had been released on the Chrysalis label at the time, which both Carl and Robbie were signed to. And he got Robbie listening to She's the One. And according to Robbie's official site, She's the One became a favourite song of Robbie's during his time in rehab. So the thing is, Guy Chambers saw the potential in this song, which, you know, bombed for Carl Wallinger. And he was really sneaky about it. So World Party have recorded this ballad in 96, 97, I think with basically Carl playing all the instruments, maybe not the drums. And later on that year, he went on tour, playing a few dates in Chicago and Nashville with his touring band. Uh, And after the tour was over, Guy Chambers poached World Party's touring band and used them, the same band, World Party, to record a cover version of the song with Robbie on vocals. So what happened? What happened? Any guess? She's the one went to number one. She's the one became Robbie Williams' second number one and was a massive hit in the UK. And it went on to win a number of awards, including a Brit Award and a Capital Radio Award for Best Single. Guy Chambers has got a lot to answer. Guy Chambers is a bastard. You know, my brother uh, once met someone who was Guy Chambers' ex. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I said? You've got to be careful of defamation, Al. I said she obviously wasn't the one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Robbie's version of the song is like, it's identical. There was no reinterpretation or anything. It's literally the same version that World Party fans have been hearing on tour, only with a different pianist and a different singer. I think Guy Chambers actually played the piano on it because he often does that live Mm -hmm. for Robbie. Understandably, as you might imagine... It became a huge source of bitterness for Carl. He fell out with Guy Chambers, and he fell out with the record label Chrysalis. I was just thinking of other covers that came on to be more popular than the original, and the first thing that came to mind was Valerie by the Zootons, and Amy Winehouse's version is much more popular, but it has distinctly different elements it's a very and it different was version, and yeah. it was a very open way of doing it i think it was a radio 1 live lounge performance to start with it's much more sort of transparent and more about like the sharing of ideas and that kind of thing whereas that there's so many underhand elements to it well it's not just that you know that the amy winehouse song is a cover mm. people know the zootons it's not like taking a relatively unknown band and stealing their songs away so Carl was quoted in the Telegraph interview as saying, Nobody phoned me to say they were doing it. It also annoyed me that Robbie didn't sing the right words. It was a weird one. You lose your friends, but you make loads of money. And that's true because, like, financially, that must have, like, it must have really done well for Carl because he got royalties from that, you know. People still remember the song by Robbie. Uh, but otherwise he must have felt like kind of betrayed by his record company who obviously saw the potential for a hit but never took like that time yeah they didn't promote him doing it they were like oh Robbie Williams that's a name we know let's slap it on him instead yeah they used it as a vehicle for like a more established pop star and um and that's such a shame you know um it could have made Carl it really could have that song and other songs could have you know because obviously he's thinking what else could they have promoted better that could have been like a huge hit and um, so Robbie won like a Brit Award for Best Single in 2000 for She's the One. Do you know what he said in his acceptance speech? Go on. So, 
see me fight, Liam? Would you pay to come and see it? Liam, 100 grand of your money, 100 grand of my money, we'll get in the ring and we'll have a fight and you can all watch it on TV. What do you think about that? To be fair though, was he unwell at the time? Because Robbie. Yeah, because he's got bipolar. Okay, I didn't know that. Mm. He'd just come out of well, he'd been out of rehab and he'd recorded this album. And uh yeah, that was referring to Liam Gallagher. What? Like, maybe I yeah. need more context, but why was he trying to fight Liam Gallagher? He had a feud with Liam Gallagher. Yeah. There was a feud going on. I think they've settled it now, because who cares? Um but also it's like he's like hundred grand of my money is like fuck you know that's not a big deal to him yeah you know he's just earned off like carl's song yeah it's got like showing showing off yeah like that no mm. reference to world party no reference to the fact it's a cover and um we, we kind of have to contextualize as well take glastonbury 1998 for example carl and world party were playing some far-flung acoustic tent in the mud to like a really small audience mm. Um, you know, this well-established group who at the time had four albums and loads of great songs, uh, whilst Robbie played the main stage to an audience of 100,000 people. And there's a lot to be bitter about. Like, Robbie also, like, played with the lyrics a bit, which, you know, annoyed Carl, because Carl, all he has is his integrity, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, what was the original lyric? We were fun all along, and he changed it to, we were fine all along. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but there you go. Does it No, no, not really, no. no. Maybe that made all the difference. Like, <laughs> people listened to like Carl's version and were like, "Fun, no, I don't like this." And it was like, <laughs> "Fun is <laughs> fun is a big ask. I yeah. will be content with just being fine." So, like, come two thousand, Carl had really fell out with his record label because of what they did to him, and he started his own, on which he had released his fifth studio album called "Dumbing Up." Um, it's like a mostly Dylan, Dylan-esque album, I guess. Um, one which John Aspiri of All Music described as more comforting than it is groundbreaking. It is a decent album, I like it. Um, and it's great for the fans who wanted more music. Keep telling myself that it don't have to be this way. Yeah, I'm talking about life and everything that we do today. I'm not falling for the same old lies that we did before. I'm just telling you now so you know why I'm at that door. Here comes the future. I hope that you can. I hope that you can work it out. And then, to make matters worse, in 2001, tragedy struck. Now, for musician Carl Wallinger, the 80s and 90s were a whirlwind of hit singles and Ivor Novello awards, and then 11 years ago, his whole world came apart. Yes, Carl, who was part of the Water Boys and World Party, suffered a life-threatening brain aneurysm. Yeah, yeah, up in, uh, up in a little holiday village kind of thing, and uh, in February, and uh, suddenly from sitting in a studio, um, uh, probably what you might call chain smoking. Um, I then decided to go and ride around in sort of sub-zero temperatures, chasing my son, who's fit as a fiddle. And uh, yeah, sort of got back to my little room and came out and said to my family, um, "I'm going to have a sleep. I've got a bit of a headache." And then mm. I came out an hour later and said, "Phone an ambulance." You know, so mm. that was it. Yeah, it was a pretty strange moment. And that was an aneurysm. Which, yeah. That was an aneurysm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's strange. I never thought I was in jeopardy. You know, it was a very strange thing. I thought, you know, um, coming to after the op, I was like um, surrounded by people I thought were a lot more ill than I was. You know what I mean? I sort of felt okay. You know, mm. it's a pretty strange thing. So to the say, world, world party had to come to a halt for a bit. Yeah, okay. I suppose that kind of speaks for itself. He, you know, he had his brain aneurysm and it changed his life. Um, long term, he lost his like peripheral vision in his right eye. Mm. 
And he says that the world is like looking around a corner at him. But worse still, you know, at least for the fans, his aneurysm prevented him from playing, it prevented him from recording, and it prevented him from touring. Because not only had he like disconnected from his record company, he'd started his own and got back all the rights for his music. Mm And at this point, he can't even operate that record company. No. But this is where, like, Robbie's cover of She's the One becomes a double-edged sword. <laughs> because, you know, according to Carl himself, it's the song that saved his bacon. And I did, like... I just looked at Alex and I did, like... Quotation marks. Quotation marks. Saved his bacon. Um, other words he used. Uh, he said, It was lucky it was a hit. It saved my ass financially for a few years whilst I was holding on onto the handrail thinking what happened. That's such a sad image, isn't it? Mm. Like, but like you say, kind of a pro in a way that those royalties were a safety net. Because yeah. yeah, he was essentially self-employed. You don't get sick pay when you're in <laughs> that line of work. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, he said they were, you know, a lifesaver. They kept his kids clothed and his family fed whilst he recuperated. And recovery, you know, took a really long time because it does. So yeah, at this time, obviously, Robbie's still touring. He's playing. Carl's song and uh, one of Robbie's gigs Guy Chambers joined him on stage and he introduced She's the One like this I was going to introduce this as the best song we've ever written and I think I still will this ladies and gentlemen is the best song we've ever written it's called She's the One you were saying about a stab in the back bloody hell <laughs> yeah so Robbie Williams is telling all of his fans these massive legions of people that he's written that song you know, and Carl, Carl in his own mm. words, is like, you know, eating crackers dipped in water. It's horrible, isn't it? So apparently uh, Carl's daughter Nancy was in the audience mm. uh, for that particular performance. And she videoed it and she showed her dad. And, uh, and so Carl phoned Guy Chambers to pass on a message to Robbie. And I'm quoting this from Reveal, Robbie Williams by Chris Heath. Because I don't want to be accused of saying something... That, you know, yeah, be like, very clear on yeah. your source. <laughs> so, can you tell your friend he's a cunt? Your fucking friend, Robbie Williams. Tell him from me that he's a cunt. Fair enough. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, he is. What else are you going to say? Robbie Williams, yeah. Carl's comment to Robbie didn't go down too well. And Robbie just started introducing it as the eighth best song he'd ever written. So, I mean, it's not very helpful, but, you know, still claiming yeah, it's Yeah, I mean, his, he's yeah. still taking credit for it, yeah. It really is a series of unfortunate events for Carl Wallinger, and he's been continually dicked over and prevented from recognition by Guy and Robbie, and also by having a brain aneurysm. So after his aneurysm, there's this kind of like wilderness years where these pockets of fandom cropped up, mostly through World Party's messaging boards on worldparty.net, which no longer exists. And um, there was tape trading, you know, that's what happened like in the 90s, most 80s and 90s, tape trading was big. But when the internet comes along, you know, more obscure things like World Party. So there's like bootlegs of live performances and release tracks, rarities. And occasionally Carl would actually crop up on the message board Mm -hmm. to respond to some fan comments or to share and release tracks himself and things. Um, My brother was a big fan of World Party 2 and he would buy cassette tapes and recorded CDs from people abroad. Apparently like someone quite prolific from Sweden. So um, one of the things he has uh, a copy of now is a CD called World Party Tribute by The Joint. I don't know who the joint is, and I can't find any like trace of the CD online. I've googled, mm. and uh, I emailed someone who was hosting World Party tracks on a website, and he said, "Hi, Sasha. Yes, I'm a huge World Party fan. Um, if I can contribute to your podcast, I'd be happy to oblige. I'm afraid, however, that I know nothing about the Joint Tribute album. And, um, and so, you know, I just like, where end. do I find out mm. about this? And I haven't found out an awful lot. 
So I posted on Reddit. There's a World Party subreddit. It's got like four people following mm. it, which is, and one of them's me. And that's such a shame as well. But um, I asked if anyone knew about this joint tribute CD and one person did, but they couldn't tell me that much. So this is what they sent to me. Alex is going to read this. I don't know a ton, but while Carl was sick and not making music, a website called The Joint popped up. The best I could tell, it was run by a woman who went by the nickname Jointy online. She hosted bootlegs of live recordings from concerts and radio shows and interviews. I downloaded several of them when I ran across it. I think there was also a forum for people to chat with each other. I got the impression that Jointy had some way to keep up with how Carl was doing though I couldn't tell if she knew him for real or just, like me, I had met him at shows and chatted with him there. Once Carl was back to making his own music and touring again, the site disappeared. I don't know why. That's what I know, and it ain't much. So, yeah. Who is Jointy? One thing I have found is, you know, some of his touring schedules suggest that he played at a place called The Joint as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know much about the venue. So, you know, who is Jointy? We don't know. Could be his wife, could be his daughter. Is it a woman? Because she, they've said woman. Yeah, but we, I don't know how how they mm, determine yeah. that. If anyone who's a World Party fan listens and knows anything about the joint, or has appeared on that joint tribute album, just, or is jointy, or <laughs> is jointy, just drop us a message. Because or if you Carl and you know, <laughs> you know, um, do drop us a message because I'd really like to know. party 2006 carl took a very very small world party on the road in australia and the u.s playing a number of under the radar acoustic sets sort of testing the waters for like a return to the music industry um it really did seem to fans like not much would happen especially to uk fans carl was apparently deliberately avoiding the uk um saying it was something he only wanted to do when he was back up to speed and it took up to 2012 before things really got back into gear sit down and a song like she's the one just come to you in an afternoon um well i hope so you know i mean uh, i mean um who knows really i mean um yeah that'll be interesting to um to put the new album out and see what happens as far as people's you know idea of what i'm doing goes but um yeah i seem to be doing the same things that i ever did something mm. so. Ar- arcology is the name of the album archaeology Ar- oh sorry yeah because I was looking at with a A-R-K-E-O-L-O-G-Y. Well, it's spelled wrong, so it's not too... wasn't working. Yeah, it's not too highfalutin. I couldn't really choose the tracks myself, and because I just kind of wood for the trees thing, you know, and I sent Mike Worthington back to New York with five and a half days of music on CDs and stuff, and Mike came back with four CDs that he'd found out of this five and a half days of music from the studio over the 25 years, basically. Yeah. And he came back with four CDs, some of which I... I'd done one night, I'd done a song one night, for instance, and, and then never heard it again, you know, it was one of those sort of things, and I found some, he found some gems, and um, uh, I was really happy to put it together, and I, I put a CD worth of music together in London while he was in New York doing that, and uh, we got together, we had five CDs, so we had 70 tracks, and uh, they, I just put them in the, in, the, in the little folders inside the diary, and that was our box set, so I think so. 
and it's called archaeology because it's kind of like from the last 25 years kind of thing it's like uh, an archaeological uh, find yeah. yeah 70 tracks that's quite a lot of music yeah it, it seems that like carl was working a lot of new world path tracks in the background and he threw them inside like a five CD set of super rare, unreleased and unheard material, which became archaeology. The uh, the first World Party release that I was old enough to anticipate. He put together a huge band for a big comeback gig at the Royal Albert Hall, and I was there. And I absolutely loved it. So there was no way that I was going to miss the gig. You know, I don't live in London, but, you know, I travelled. But, but I thought it would be my only chance to see one of my favourite bands live. And I think it speaks volumes about the strength of the material and archaeology that he was able to open with one of the new tracks from it. But yeah, he did like another couple of tours in the few years after that too. I actually saw him in Manchester, I think it was the Deaf Institute, and then at the Cavern Club in Liverpool. You know the Cavern Club? I'm aware of Yeah, that. the world famous Cavern Club, which where the Beatles played before they were famous. And I saw them on separate tours and each time the gigs got smaller, more intimate. I've always had a preference for more sort of intimate gigs. Yeah, they're, they're better, yeah. I mean, if you compare the Royal Albert Hall to the Cavern Club, but they're, they're both world-famous venues. They're very different from one another. But I never thought I'd see World Party once, let alone three times. You, you'd said about him avoiding the UK uh, sort of back in the day. Yeah. So then to get to see him three times. And, like, in the UK, there were whisperings that he was touring in the US, and we were like, hmm... So I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled, I really am thrilled that I've seen World Party three times. But that's like a while ago now, he hasn't mm. been on tour for a while. And um, today, World Party maintain a presence on Facebook with over 13,500 likes. How does that compare, say, to Robbie? I'd be interested. What's that? Four... 4.9 million. 4. I checked 9 million. a few minutes ago, yeah. yeah. And uh, not that we, we, we're going to put them in like a Carl versus Robbie situation. No, but, you know... By virtue of that track, it it did boost and elevate Robbie, Robbie Williams' yeah. it, career. It could, so it could have boosted mm-hmm. and elevated Carl's career considerably. Oh yeah, yeah. As far as I can tell, Carl actually runs the Facebook page himself. I might mm-hmm. be wrong, but I don't think it really does him any favors, which isn't his fault as well. He's a musician. Yeah, he's no social media expert or influencer. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, uh, but to be fair, I don't really think he's interested in self promotion. He's reaching the people he wants to, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and it kind of marries up to what you were saying at the very beginning about how he doesn't kind of schmooze with the business, uh, the music people. Yeah. He's not interested in kind of selling and promoting himself and let the content speak for itself. Yeah, yeah, and clearly, like there are, there is an audience because, you know, like in the mid two thousands, like I was saying, when there was no material coming out, people were on the forums, on the message boards, trying to find this unheard bootleg material I mean I try and find as many world party songs as I can I've had to get them from cassette tapes antiquated early 2000s websites b-sides from vinyls that have never had like a digital release and yeah you know there is an audience there he's reaching the people he wants to so on Facebook he'll like occasionally post old music videos um old videos generally interviews live performances unheard material and demos but he also like posts a lot of unrelated to the band stuff. Like a band would largely post stuff related, like mm-hmm. directly he, related to the band. Here's our tour. Here's our festivals we're yeah. performing out. I mean, he'll post a lot about like issues he's passionate about, like environmental issues, plastic pollution, rainforests, um, endangerment, um, endangered species, and associated petitions for people to sign. Yeah, which you know. Yeah, I got all of an activist. Yeah, so he's, he's using you know that appeal that he does have to try and, uh, you know, influence people in a way, so that's yeah. good. I'm sure people who listen to World Party are probably very aware of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he also posts articles related to British politics. I wonder which way he yeah. <laughs> Being from Wales as well, for one thing. Yeah. Like, that's already, like, three marks towards being a lefty. And he posts a lot of music history posts too. And, yeah, one of the things I think negative is that he often responds to fan comments on posts and sometimes it makes him come across a bit rude and sarcastic and condescending so he did it with me once he posted like behind the scenes of paul mccartney and wings recording rock extra rock extra is like paul mccartney was trying to put a rock orchestra together of like the big names at the time i think that we had that on you in the car we had it in the car yesterday yeah (laughs) 
And what I commented when Carl had posted this was, oh, you know, I said it kind of sounds like anyone could have been on the track, really, in my opinion. It's mm. it's not, like, outstanding. Um, and, that, you know, if, if you'd have had, like, Pete Townsend doing a solo, it would have sounded like Pete Townsend. Townsend. Yeah. yeah, or the other guitarists or the other bass players or the other drummers and the other singers. And he responded, like, quite, I can't remember. I mean, I've not got the exact comment. You didn't screenshot it. Yeah, I've deleted <laughs> my Facebook. So it was, like, a really rude response. And it, it kind of, like, threw me off, I think. You know, for fans who love his music, to hear that from from someone who's, like, putting personality into his posts. And, you you know, you were a few years younger as well, so someone you'd looked up for to for years and years to then kind of have them shoot you down. Yeah, World when... Party are in my top five mm. bands of all time. Um, I was in my early 20s at the time, and obviously you can misread tone when it's typed, especially yeah, on an off-handed comment. So... I like to look past it, you know. Um, I think, all in all, I'm here for the music, so I don't let it bother me. Mm-hmm. So, World Party Today. Carl claims that a new album is in the works. He said it's cooking on the oven on a slow roast. And he promises he'll do his utmost to make sure there are plenty of copies of a new record and that it will be of the highest possible creative quality with everything a fan could expect. Because this will be his first studio album in nearly 20 years, it's a big deal for the fans. It's just music, really. It's just stuff, what I do in my studio, you know what I mean? I'm just pretty lucky to go and indulge in thinking of something and then going and recording it, you know, and luckily seem to have done a sort of enough of a job to have, like, you know, spent my last sort of 30 years or whatever it is, you know, doing this. So um, I just feel sort of lucky, really, you know, He just, he, for the most part, comes across as a very, like, humble guy. Just loves what he does. Yeah. Um, just love what he does and yeah like you were saying there you know I'm just going to make sure there's as much available as possible for people in the interest of you know access to people rather than it being um, sometimes people try and sell things as an exclusive item to increase demand or increase um, you know build up ahead of time but obviously he's not interested in that kind of gimmick yeah. it's just been working on this stuff. I love what I do. Here it is. He knows the fans will want it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's things about Carl that you pick up. Like he's not used to being interviewed. He's kind of shy in interviews. That's what I feel. And I feel like, as well as that, you know, like there was an interview earlier, a clip from BBC Breakfast from a, about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the the interviewers don't know how to handle that. Because they're so used to, you know, self-promoters. That, that's the thing. People will go on, you know, BBC Breakfast or, like, the evening shows like Graham Norton and it'll be, you know, chat, 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 buy this, do this. He did obviously talk about archaeology. He seems just so much more, like, low-key. Yes, yeah, he's very low-key. You know, he's got a family, he's got children, he's got a wife. He's, you know, he's got his home studio set up. He, he wants to mm-hmm. sit back Kind of, reminds me, kind of reminds me of George Harrison, like a bit of a recluse. Yeah, I could see that, to be honest. George Harrison played... He did a tour in the 70s. He did a tour in the 90s. He never really played live otherwise, maybe sporadically. But I suppose the other thing about... And he'd come from, like, a more established group, actually. Yet the, George was fortunate enough to have the money after the Beatle years to support his lifestyle. Whereas Carl, obviously, you know, where would he be if he hadn't had She's the One covered by Robbie? Because he wouldn't have the royalty checks. No. It's like you were saying double-edged sword with that. It is, yeah. He doesn't get the credit, but, it, you know, he was able to keep his kids clothed during that hard time. But imagine so. if, like, Chrysalis had promoted mm. World Party's version of She's the One. Would that have elevated World Party retrospectively and in the future? It couldn't have prevented his aneurysm. Oh, Well, unlikely, <laughs> you know. I think there are so many people out there who could discover World Party and really love them as a band. That's the thing. It's, you know, obviously we're like kind of looking into a crystal ball here and what ifs, but you can market anything. Had he been marketed properly? Yeah, okay, he's not from this huge band that was Take That that had the same name as Robbie Williams. But like I say, you can market anything. If he was introduced on... I know, Radio 1 or something at this time is, this, this is this person, here's his credentials, 
this is the new track and it was put out and they do this thing now for instance where they promote a particular track from a newcoming artist mm. for like a week and play yeah. every day something like that it would have got the radio play people would have got the tune in their head and it, it i could see that very easily of having taken off One of the things I had here was like trying to source interviews and clips because I wanted to put as much of Carlin as possible. Now, because he had a release in 2012, obviously there's like, with social media, there's far more. You know, once something's been uploaded on the internet, it's nearly there forever. Mm -hmm. There's clips of him being interviewed in Australia that people have uploaded from videotapes, but also another CD that my brother got like trading in the mid 2000s was World Party talking on the radio in Australia. And, and so we're so fortunate to have those like historic clips, which I don't think are, you can't find them on the internet. So um, I actually think this is like an exclusive world first or something. Um, not to toot your own horn. Not to toot my own horn. So my advice would be if you want to listen to World Party, they're on Spotify. I think most of the material's on Spotify. Um, there's clips of them on YouTube or just buy a CD because, I mean, this, this guy is an independent artist so if you like what you hear buy an album because you know he is fantastic um and the album artwork is he's you know one of those old school old school do i say that old school kind of people you know the artwork on the album is great the inserts are wonderful there's lyrics and things and photographs i definitely advise you buy the album support carl and um yeah, I'm going to play out with one of my favourite World Party songs. It's called Is It Like Today? It's like my own kind of like impression of uh, a little sort of history of kind of uh, Western sort of thought or the ideas that sort of uh, went around, you know, history over the last 4,000 years in four verses. Um, it's a bit like some sort of bet or something, you know, can you do it in four verses? And it was just an attempt at understanding the twos and fro's of, of, of the ideas of the world and the fact that people had always kind of said from in every epoch, you know, do that and it's the end of the world or like, how did it get like this, you know, whatever it is, you know, we're all walking around saying it a lot, but, you know, I'd, you know, major ideas have disintegrated before and we have found the pieces and put them together and admittedly, normally, there's been a lot of bloodshed and confusion and chaos and violence and war and horribleness and there still is but we have you know had a habit of doing that and, and, and no doubt we will continue to as you say there still is all those things
Stop. 